believe in ourselves and look what's happened, it's unreal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. A very special episode today uh, as I, Andy Bell, am joined by the Northern Ireland women's manager, uh, Kenny Shields, uh, to have a chat about the Ukraine game, about the campaign and uh, about the last two years in which Kenny's been in the job in general. So, Kenny, thanks so much for coming on. How are you? Has it sunk in yet? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just about coming back to normality now and it, it's um, it's been a, it's been an absolute brilliant journey and we don't want it to stop <laughs> yeah no absolutely oh brilliant stuff and uh okay let's let's go uh right back kind of to the start uh when you came in um and we'll take it from there and we'll kind of talk about maybe the specifics of the uk uh, the ukraine game a little bit later so you know you've talked quite a lot i've listened to a lot of interviews you've done where you've talked about like obviously changing the style of play and starting to play out from the back and and how difficult is that kind of with a team who you know we had Rachel Furness and Simone McGill in this podcast, and they were talking about how, you know, the mindset previously, it was damage limitation. It was go out not to get hammered, whereas you've, you've uh, you know, put the girls out every uh, every game, whether it's a strong opponent, whether it's a weak opponent, to win. How difficult was that to change, first of all, the mindset and the style of play of those girls? Oh, very difficult. Um, it's There was a lot of transition and transformation of how they how they were, were playing to how we wanted them to become and what we wanted them to become. And there were so many psychological traits within that in terms of how they felt uh, about the challenge. And, you know, it, at the start, it was like difficult. Uh, and we started to work really hard at it because we knew that we could break into that style of play but, you know, when you've been doing things differently over a long period of years, it's a massive transition for the girls. But they stuck to it and, and you, you see the outcome. They've been absolutely brilliant. And that professionalism, what that brought was uh, an extra dimension and an extra challenge for them. Yeah, and was that like kind of the most difficult challenge for you in your managerial career because you've spent the most of it kind of at club level where you see the players day in day out and you can really work on a, a style and a set of principles whereas with these girls you're seeing them you know once every month if even really and, and getting six or seven days so how difficult is it like to change a style of play when you're only getting a, a very limited amount of training sessions with these girls yeah well that's a very good question but we train the local girls and that's why there's so many domestic players in the squad because we've got more access to them and they've quadrupled their understanding of the game. Uh, I think we had to give them that first about the whys and the, and, and the hows and the whats, you know, all of those small words that are so significant, you know, why we were doing it and what we were doing it for and how we would reach the certain goals that we needed to reach. So certainly the girls were buying into it as we went along and it was quite fresh for them. Uh, and, you know, I was amazed because they hadn't seen this type of work before. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And, and is that kind of like a double-edged sword for you then? Because I know you, you were talking in the after Ukraine game about the fact that it's it's virtually a part-time team. You know, I think seven or eight of the 11 players that started in the Ukraine uh, were playing either Irish League or were part-time. Uh, and I think maybe it was is one or two less in the home game. But, you know, while, yes, you want players to go across the water and play full-time and, and get that kind of level of fitness, it also means, you know, if a couple of those players go across there, then you're not seeing them. Uh, as much and training with them as much as you're you're training with the domestic players. So, like, what what what's the balance that you want to get? Do you uh, do you want to see like ideally for you would all they all go across the water and all be full time? But then, of course, you don't get have get that time with them. Exactly, uh, it's getting the time with them as well. You know, and I'm not sure that across the water is always what's better for them at, at this at, at that given time. Uh, you know, because our way is, is so innovative in terms of the teaching, and I'm not saying they would get that when they if they went across. They would at the major clubs, the four or five major clubs, they will get good coaching. But um, to say that that's going to be consistent right through the whole of England, I, I can't say that it would be. Okay. Okay, yeah, that, that's interesting because naturally you'd sort of think you'd always want the players to go across and play full time and train, you know, five times a week. But it's as an international manager, that's, that's interesting because it is kind of like, as I say, a, a bit of a double-edged sword. But, you know, going going back to, to kind of talk about the group and the playoffs as a whole, I mean, you were saying it's uh, it's it's the, it's the one of the greatest achievements in, in Northern Irish football history. It's one of the greatest achievements in UK sporting history as well. And I think a lot of people have kind of, kind of picked up on that and, it really was because not only are, are, as I say, seven or eight of that starting 11 uh, part-time compared to a pretty much, I think, pretty much a full-time Ukraine side. I know their their top league in Ukraine is uh, the top two teams are full-time. So, you know, up against uh, 11 players and not only that, but the fact that the Irish League hasn't been played this season. And I think the only competitive game that a lot of the girls had um, at any level, club or international, before the, the playoffs was that, that game in England. And like that must have been so difficult to kind of, and uh, it must have been a bit of a quandary for you, for 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 certain was, players, and, and packing the team maybe with, uh, uh, maybe the temptation would have been to, to pack the team with with more of the players playing across in England. But you you stuck with a lot of the Irish league players that have they've got you to where you were. And what what was it like kind of making that decision? It was difficult, very very difficult, because you have to respect the domestic league. They were wanting to get their girls ready and with them. And it wasn't fair in them, but I asked them for those four weeks in March that I could have them almost 90% of the time because they weren't starting to the end of April, their league. And they were very supportive. And I appreciate that so much because we needed to get them dovetailed into how we wanted to go about things. And I, I felt that that was essential to get them together. We also had so many in spite of, you know, we, we had, we weren't allowed to play bounce games and practice games that we had in the autumn because England, if we had been in England, Wales or Scotland, we would have, but because of some crazy restriction that we weren't allowed to play against them unless they were over 16 or over 17, then it put another obstacle in our way. And, and the girls were really angry. I wasn't too pleased either. But 
you know, these were the negatives that were thrown at us. The AFA were supportive. They, they, they did everything they could to try and get them relaxed. It didn't happen. Uh, I don't know why it didn't happen. It bemused me and I was so unhappy about that. And But I didn't, I had to be careful that I didn't bring negative connotations into the into the mix for the girls. You know, I, I kept it boiling up inside me because I could see my girls out there and they needed more intensity to our preparation. We needed to be playing real games against Glen Torren and teams like that. You know, they're, they're uh, boys teams and we weren't allowed to do that, which we did in the autumn. And I, I still have yet to get a message from the powers that be, you can't do this because it was outrageous some of the reasons as to why we couldn't do it. And Ukraine wasn't a red list country into the bargain. And then when the girls come back at this moment, also, we're all self-isolating. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I don't think that was, that was handled as well by, by the executive, but they have their people as well, but I just still don't understand it. Still, it defies me, defies logic completely. So we were struggling with that. We were struggling with um, flights and the AFA got us a charter again, which was fantastic. Um, girls working then, you had to say self-isolate. That was going to be an issue for all of them. And we didn't know where we were going or how we were getting there. We're very nearly going to have to pull out of the tournament because I was so concerned. But the IFA saved us by getting the uh, the charter flight, which was great. Okay, fantastic. And yeah, that's interesting because like uh, with the Irish Cup coming back this year in the men's, I see a lot of the the men's teams are are pulling out the the ones in the championship one and two because they just don't feel that they can go straight into kind of playing matches having not had any kind of competitive or intense football. So like I can completely understand why. Uh, why you had those thoughts about, about wanting to potentially pull them out of it. But that just makes it like, like it seems when you look back, you know, for Northern Ireland, a pot four side to be, uh, to be first of all, finishing second, but also so emphatically winning a playoff, you'd think it would have had to be in a perfect storm. But it almost seemed like everything conspired against us with the regulations, with the a lot of the injuries to the likes of Megan Bell and yes. a lot of the other players, like it, it, it's such an achievement in itself. It's 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 one of the greatest achievements in itself. But then when you add in all those factors, it it just becomes almost impossible, and it's impossible to believe how we how we've done it. One of our great achievements as a nation was beating Spain in the World Cup in Spain. The men's team was absolutely fantastic. I would ask people. How many Glen Torn players were in that team? Or how many Linfield players or Cliftonville players or Crusaders players? How many were in that playing, asked to play at that level? You know, it was all English-based players and Mal Donaghy, who was at Manchester United, players like that. Look at this, the level that they were playing at. Uh, football wasn't just as global then. I don't want to take anything away from that achievement. That was a fantastic achievement. But we have done it over a group. Do you know what I mean? That was like against professional players. And ours are not, ours are amateur. Like once our girls do their um, 
isolation. They're going back to B&Q and they're going back to Lidl. They're going back to the universities to work. They're not going, they're not going back to their football clubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's just, it's just it, it beggars belief at times. And just to go back to kind of the, the group, I, th- I think we'll we'll kind of have a bit of a chat about the group in, in kind of chronological order here. Um, I was, as I say, I was chatting to some of the some of the girls for this podcast, and there were one of the stories I'm I'm very interested in is the idea that it was you know head to head and not goal difference. And and Rachel and Simone were kind of saying they, didn't, they couldn't remember the exact game or the exact time, but there was something that clicked when somebody looked it up and and worked out that actually that two two draw in Wales and the two away goals that that gave us, coupled with a nil nil at Seaview, was. Was significant and i was i was kind of interested i had a bit of a theory that maybe you knew all along and just wanted to keep them focused or like can you remember what no. the, what the game was or yeah after the game against wales at home not before it after it where we drew no no we found out then that we were uh, going to be able to if we would win our last four games which was a forlorn hope um we would get into the playoffs you know, if I look at Wales, Wales have, they go over the Severn Bridge or, and they're in England. And all of the Welsh players play in England. Most of them play in the Premier Women's Super League. So they had a distinct advantage. And I think they got their comeuppance a little bit because they were playing against Little Loss and they were defending. Mm-hmm. They didn't play to win. They played not to lose. And that came back to haunt them. Because the 0-0 draw, we went to Wales after getting 6-0 beaten by Norway. And we played them, I'm not saying we played them off the park, but we attacked them. Mm-hmm. And we got our rewards and finished 2-2. When they came to us, it was not to lose, 0-0. And then what they were doing, their tactics in every game was stay inside the game, and in the last 10, 15 minutes, they throw the kitchen sink at it, and that's exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. But they didn't play to win. They played not to lose. There's a massive difference. And the players that Wales have, my goodness, yeah, Manchester United, Liverpool, uh, Man City, they, they play for all the top teams in England. Mm-hmm. And it was very strange. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you, you know, you say there about how you maybe think Wales with the with the six 0 defeats for us in, uh, against Norway, they thought that you know our goal difference was out the window, and all they needed to do was was stay level in points with us. If you had known before uh, the home game against Wales that it was on head to head and that those two away goals were so significant, would that have changed how you set up or prepared in any way? I think it's a hypothetical question because you, you can't turn the clock back and say. I can't tell you what I would have done at that time. We, we, we play to win in every game, but we're playing against very good players in, in, in ship of the Wales team. So we played to try and win the match. We wouldn't have changed that. I think we get caught up too much in, in uh, your style of play against certain teams. Ours was, has been consistently the same up until the last two games where we were... We took a little bit away from our attacking game and added more strength defensively, especially in the second game, because there was so much at stake. There was people's careers at stake. Everybody was 
uh, hyped up about the game. The nation depended on us. So when we set up to play in the second leg at Seaview, there was a certain amount of not to lose within our structures. But there was a lot of attacking play. Like the scoreline was 2-0 and they hadn't a shot at goal. We closed their spaces. We shut them down, nullified anything they could throw at us. And to look at the statistic of not one shot at our goal and not one, just one little half chance in injury time where, where a header went narrowly wide. That was all they had on our goal. So that was testament to organisation. Organisation is a massive part of preparing to do well in games. And mostly our organisation would have been patterns in attack, attacking throw-ins, attacking set pieces, attacking from open play, attacking from transitions. All of those was in our makeup consistently, all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because in the Ukraine as well, you know, they get their the one goal, but I can't remember like a massive big chance they they had. I know they had a you know Jackie Burns makes a couple of fantastic saves, one from like, but it was kind of 30, 35 yard free kicks, and there was no like kind of moment your heart was really in. Maybe it was different for you being on the sidelines, but there was no, for me there was no real point at which I thought we weren't going to come away with uh, with 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 something in the Ukraine, and even when 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 Rachel Furness went off. But you mentioned there like in the second leg, we're maybe a little bit more defensively organised. Is that is that why you went to three at the back? Because we were talking about that, but in a sense, like it, it enabled the likes of Holloway and, and McKenna to push on forward and Laura Rafferty was coming out with the ball. So while it looks like a little bit more of a defensive move, you know, the way the individuals were playing and it didn't seem much more defensive to me. Was that your thinking um, for the second leg? Our, the transition was as we attack, whilst we're attacking, we set up with three at the back. When we lost possession or they, they turned it over on us, it became five. Mm -hmm. So we were immediately in that transition. We were closing off the sides. And, and that's where the defensive bit come in. And in front of the three, we had a, a deep midfielder in, in, uh, in Sarah Mack who did a fantastic job in screening in front. Mm -hmm. So we worked on the screening and we worked in cover and we worked at defending as well. You know, we put all of those three into the one basket. So we went to screening, defending and cover all in the one movement. We had to have that moment where we had possession, good possession, and immediately we lost that, lost that possession. Everybody knew their job. And if you look back at the game, we were like rats around them. You know, as soon as we lost it, it was like the dynamic was boom, get tight, shut the space. And we did that instantaneously. And it formulated into a, a really good performance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just want to know, uh, like from a managerial point of view, what was your favourite game of the group? Because a lot of people talk about the 2-2 two -two in Wales uh, and maybe that's seen as maybe the best result from the group. So not including the, the the two Ukraine games, but one that really sticks out for me. I remember watching the game was the the one nil win in Belarus, especially going down to ten players, um, you know, with about half an hour gone, I think it was, and and 
you know, to then go and get the goal and, and maintain it? And like, what's the, do you prepare for that as a manager going down to 10 men? I know Jose Mourinho always talks about how he did that uh, before the Inter match away to Barcelona in 2010. Is there, is that, is that in your mind? Is that something you always have a plan for, um, for each, in, like each eventuality of going down to 10 players? Or is it kind of off the cuff, see how the game's going and take it from there? No, you have, you characterize for every game. So, and you look at the, st- the strongest character that you can, the characteristic that you can have. So when you go down to 10 men, it's very much in the line of organization has to take precedence over everything because we're a man less now. So they're going to have more spaces than us. So we, we were high in organization and discipline of a different kind out in uh, Minsk. They never had a shot at our goal either. Mm-hmm. They had won just over the bar late on. So the way we set up in that game was, att- we were really attacking from the start with good organization if we lose it. And then when we lost our player after 23 minutes, we went without a striker and played two num- two false nines in front of the def- an, a defensive mid so when we got out we had Lauren Wade's pace in the right we had Simone in the left and we had Forney breaking from central areas and we were quite lethal with 10 men 10 women even we were quite lethal in how we hit them with transitions all over the pitch from everywhere on the pitch uh, in the Wales game we went for it and they didn't know what hit them it was a different characteristic because we went to Wales who were a big name, who had just drawn 0-0 with England, uh, I think, in the previous tournament. And they were on a high. But they sat back with a five along the back and four in front of that. And we started to get on top of them. And then we scored and we conceded two very unfortunate goals. And we still kept going. And we we ended up beating them or drawing with them 2-2 with the last, a goal in the last seconds from Ashley. And there were different platforms that we were building from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you always have to design it. I hear coaches talking about, we never change the way we play. It's all about us. That is so wrong. That's, that's a complete disaster. You mentioned Jose Mourinho. I, I wouldn't call him a coach. <laughs> more, more like a philosopher. Yeah. You know, he, he, he doesn't know the game even though he's been in it at the top level for so long, you watch his teams play and there's managers in the Premier League in England just don't have a clue, to be honest. And uh, he's one of them. And he's talked the talk in certain situations with Inter Milan, but he's bought the talk in in most of the rest of it. So I'm just concerned about uh, that we have to be... uh, precise in our preparation and you're asking me about the demographic in each game is different we, we go against Wales away it's got a title first and foremost so psychologically that affects the girls away to Wales so they build up in their stomach things like Wales are going to be tough to beat away from home all that stuff so we had to try and defer that thought and look at ways in which we could win. Now, all we spoke about was winning and winning and winning. 
in every game. So they, in turn, developed a winning mentality mm-hmm. because they were being told that we can win this game. And I'm not taking any credit for that. That was just our plan. And uh, I felt it was uh, a good plan because the girls had been through so much in, in prior to us coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, as uh, Rachel was saying on, on, on the podcast, Rachel Furness, she was saying that you kind of sat the team down at the start of the qualification campaign and said, you know, we're going to go for second here. And, and that took a lot of them kind of by surprise. And the, not in the sense that they didn't think they were capable of finishing second, but because for so long, it was never even in the mindset of the, of the Northern Irish women. Um, so, Looking ahead to the Euros in the summer of 2022, will you be setting a, a target like that? Um, I know like the, in, the, in the first two pots, I think the only, only one of the teams had, had lost a game in qualification. So like the standard and the level of those, of those teams we're going to be playing is, is, is going to be absolutely huge. So is there like a, a target you've got in your mind or will you kind of see how it goes over the next year or two, especially with the World Cup qualifiers and, and take it from there? It can't be all uh, water mitty. You know, I have to have a certain amount of realism within what I say to them. Uh, we we got second in, the, in our group. You know, we've played 10 games against top opposition in Europe. Don't forget we were a four seed in a five-team group, number four seed. Mm-hmm. So we were four-fifths of the way down the group. We went out to win every game and... Also, which is really, really important, is that we went with an attitude that we can win this game, even against Norway. We went with that attitude, mm-hmm. and then we redressed it. And then when we got to the stage after the two draws with Wales, we said to the players that I had changed where we were looking to try and get uh, – into second position but I changed the title of what our goal setting was so the new title of our goal setting was let's win the last four matches and it was so abrupt and it was so simplistic I said let's win the last four matches that's it there's no other science to it we've got to win the last four matches we actually had six matches and we won them all, you know, but we nibbled away at the four and we got, we got our first one in the Faroes and then on the same trip we got, no, sorry, we got, um, we won them uh, in Minsk. So we were halfway through their goal setting. We never mentioned playoffs or anything. So they had achieved 50% of what I had set them in the target. And then at home to the Faroes, it became three quarters way through our goal setting. So if you put it into its dimensions and and how you approach that, now we're just one away. And then we we won that one. We weren't brilliant in that one. But in those games, we're losing Dami Vance. And then we lost Sarah Ferguson with suspension. Sarah Mike. And we lost... Ritual in the last game, going into the game, last game and a half of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So many key players we lost during the during the, the program. It was unbelievable. We lost our goalkeeper. 
you know, we lost our goalkeeper, we lost Sarah Mack. We left Ash out in one of the games. We lost Ritzel Furness. Um, you name it. All our top players. Demi Vance, Cara Hamilton come in and done a fantastic job. She was primed and ready to go. She gave us something different. And then when we worked in Abby McGee, coming up to the end of the, in, in the playoffs, she gets her injury. ACL again. Mm-hmm. Megan Bell had been out for most of it. If you look at all the absentees, and then you think about our girls coming from an amateur, an amateur status, and we still get through in one of our last six games. For me, nothing will touch that ever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, okay, final question, Kenny, just looking ahead to the, the draw, I think, um, I think the BBC said it was in October, but I can't see any like confirmation of that. I've looked on the Wikipedia pages, but anyway, like, is there any team you particularly want to draw either from, you know, getting a, a, getting a win point of view or just for the occasion? Like, for example, would you fancy playing England in the first game? Is that something you would, you would like to do? And like, a lot of the girls said they wanted Ukraine because we, they knew what they were about and they had the video analysis. So from that perspective, would, for example, Norway be a good team from pot two? Is there any team you're specifically thinking I'd love to play them in next summer? Yeah, I'd like to play England and Norway. Um, because it would give me a measurement as to how far we've come mm-hmm. in, in that space of time. We're always trying to improve what we have. Yeah, those would be two that I would like to make. Okay, good stuff. Well, let fingers crossed for that then. Um, Kenny, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Andy. Thank you.